if you see a sick tree, you don't tape fruit on it. You're not like, oh, we need to just put some fruit on here and suddenly it's a healthy tree. You know, it's like, oh, from the outside, it looks healthy now. It's like, no, you need need to tend to that tree. Hey everybody, welcome to No Small Thing, the podcast dedicated to helping you live a less certain and more curious life. I'm Scott. And I'm Mace. Welcome to episode 143. 43. I yes. think that's right. Yeah. Um, dot, dot, dot. Oneness with Fred. Topic is oneness. We're going to put your name in it? Last name? Yeah, go for it. Are we saying Freddie, Char? So that's Frederick? the question. Yeah, I'm Frederick on the West Coast, Char on the East Coast, beloved child of our creator all the way. <laughs> For my podcast, because it's taking place in the Princeton East Coast context, I go by Char, but they know, if they've listened to my names episode, that um, my birth legal first name is Frederick, so that's fine. I think you should keep your microphone about three fingers, three fingers from your mouth. This way. All right. All right. (laughs) Let's hope they cut that first part. Two part. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. I want to just ask about where Char came from, but I don't... That's a longer story. No, exactly. I realized that. Okay, so let's give a little quick background, everybody. Uh, a lot of the guests that we have on our podcast are friends of ours, and we have friends that we really think are cool and smart and fun and generous and kind and sweet. All these nice yeah. things. Yeah, and uh, why not? Why not use our platform to talk to our friends? And our let pod. you hear from our friends. Um, Frederick is uh, his own person, but hey, I'm also indeed. going to say uh, Frederick is Henia's twin brother, and I'm only invoking Henia because Henia has been on this episode or this show. I think it was episode 81. 80, episode wow, 81. 81. Gender 3, I think. Or I gender so. 2. 3. Okay. Three? Gender 3. Two. Or gender 2. I, I forget. Two. <laughs> <laughs> and um, Frederick and Henia were part of my youth group for a very long time. And I've known both of them since they were like in the fourth grade or something like that. Maybe even before that. They didn't know I knew them at that time, but I knew of the Mansfield. Peering things. through the windows. Yeah. Scott's eye, it's got his eyes <laughs> on them. There was, a, there was a time, and I might have said this in the last episode, Henia, but nobody's going to remember that far back. <laughs> Anyways, uh, we had our like fifth grade orient, fifth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade orientation. Mm-hmm. And it was like moving up to middle school youth group. And the Mansfield twins were in the class that day. And about <laughs> halfway through, I was like, but wait you guys aren't old enough yet. Oh. <laughs> they weren't supposed to be there that day. Like, Next year. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> I don't even Next remember year that. you guys can come. <laughs> so eager. <laughs> I was like, how did you guys get in here? Um, so, and then, and then, uh, and, and you should interject in terms of how you know Frederick, but then uh, Frederick um, was a leader with us at this old church that we talked a lot about last yep. week. Yep, yep. Um, church in, shall in not be named. <laughs> yeah, the church that shall no, not be named. No, we name it UPC. UPC. <laughs> Homophobic church (laughs) in the district. And uh, now Frederick is leading with us in Rebel, the youth group with Beloved Arise. And it's also much more than these things that we just mentioned. But But it's Frederick's connection to us. And so I think, yeah, Yeah. like I became Fred. We didn't, we weren't that close or didn't really like hang out much when we were at UPC because our our grades were really different. Like I think we were only overlapping in high school for one year, but. That, that sounds like do. somebody got better grades or something. Our <laughs> grades are really different. Yeah, I, know, was, I, was I was just flunking student, out. You know, class of we didn't, people. You didn't really hang out with, <laughs> <laughs> with the cool, cool kids on top. 
Um, but yeah, no, then I feel like through this year with Rebel and just like, I didn't even know Henya until a year ago, mm. which is just crazy to me. Um, we've definitely gotten a lot closer and yeah. seen each other a lot more and hung out. And so, um, yeah, like Scott said, we like to have our friends on the pod and Fred has a pod. I do. Uh, Barefoot to Emmaus. That's the one. That you do with your friend, which is like, it has like a similar friend vibe as No Small Thing, I'd say. So we're going Into for meandering it. vibe. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we go all over, all over the place. Um, yeah, I mean, what do you, do you want to fill in any gaps that we might have missed about something about Frederick? Something about Frederick. In terms wow. of helping we've, our audience understand who you are. Yeah, I mean, something I think that's really important to know about me is that I'm a really intense person. <laughs> that's true. <Yes. laughs> and so if you check out Barefoot to Mace, it's a theology podcast. I like to consider what we do somewhat of public theology, and I'll mm-hmm. talk a little bit more about this Please, later. Yeah. But um, essentially what I mean by that is that rather than speaking or preaching to society, we are speaking with society. So it's this conversation Mm. that's meant to be open, universally accessible and engaging. Now, Byron and I sometimes pop off on our own with some Christianese, some theological terms and stuff (laughs) that we're excited about because, you know, we're in seminary. But um, for me, I I do think the goal is that anyone of any faith or religious perspective or secularism can come and take something away from it. So that's that's our podcast. Did you mention you're going to Princeton? I, I briefly said it there, okay. yeah. So I'm at Let's the seminary. Let's mention it again. Let's do it again. <laughs> <laughs> yep, at that um, Ivy League, yeah. apparently. Well, it's, I mean, Princeton Seminary is kind of different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's not like co- a different school. Used to be connected to Princeton University, but they're, they've been separate for a long time. East Coast history, you know, it goes way back. But the, but the campuses are side by side or parallel, right? Very, very close. And we're still, we can access their library. Oh, cool. We can even take classes over there. So um, that's fun. I don't know if you know the name Kianga Yamada Taylor, but she's a professor at Princeton. She wrote a book um, from Black Lives Matter to Black Liberation. Mm. For those of you who are listening here, it's, the best anti-racist book that I have read so far. Oh, so I'm going to get it. Scott's <laughs> book radar <laughs> no, is to. up. Not, not to make absolutes, but there's an absolute. It's the best one that I've read so far. So wow. she's a prin- um, she is at Princeton University. And okay. so okay, I great. can take a class with her, which Sweet. I'm really stoked to do once we finally are in person because yeah. pandemic times, you know. Pandemic times. Oh, boy. I wrote okay. A- what were you going to say? Oh, nothing. <laughs> well, I cut you off. <laughs> I was going to say I wrote a lot of angst in my morning pages about pandemic times today. Oh, yeah, today. pandemic <laughs> times. Gosh. Um, so we are going to talk about a topic of Frederick's choice today. This and is my that choice. Is, is oneness. Yeah. And my interest is definitely peaked. We're, we're entering this truly as like... Scott and I are curious what Frederick means by that. We yeah. invite you to be curious alongside us as we approach this topic that Frederick is bringing to us. Maybe I don't even know what it's about. <laughs> it's really fun Un- because, oh, unfold. I love that approach. <laughs> I do love that approach. I, I love figuring out what the topic is as we talk. That's what I like. Um, it, this seems a little bit unique in the sense that typically we have an idea of what we want to hear from somebody because they, they're out in the world sharing it. Yeah. And then we ask and then set them up. And this is like, very unique in the sense that Frederick chose the topic and Frederick's coming in with an idea. And so we really are like, what is it? What is it? We don't know. It's, it's like manna fun. falling from the sky. Yeah, what yeah. is it? Ah. <laughs> well, and it feels very fitting for Scott's just done like a big Facebook mm. art uh. project oh, around yeah, unity. No. Yeah. And I feel like this mm. might touch on that. I yeah. did a unity post every day in February and asked about what, whether or not we could unify around certain topics. <laughs> and, it brought up all sorts of funny things, and, and I won't go into it now because I already sense 
Mace making some facial expressions. <laughs> I'm going to get thrown off by it. Oh, no. <laughs> no, it brought up a lot for me. Yeah. But oneness seems sort of similar, but see, we're already talking too much. What, yeah, what do absolutely. you mean by oneness? <laughs> well, let me start just a little bit of my, my journey into this and, and why this is something that's yes. important to me. Yes. So I uh, grew up in the church, but in, on a particular service trip with Scott in 2011, that was where um, my faith really became my own, where I encountered Jesus for myself. Mm-hmm. And so from that point on, I realized this is where I get life. It, it really was a dramatic transformation from who kind I was Kind of a legendary before. trip, oh, I feel like. Absolutely. The way you and Hen and Scott all speak about it. It, it goes into the annals of our history. Um, and I don't want to understate how significant that was, but the journey since then has been continually transformative. Mm. And what I've realized is that the label of Christian, which I still use, I identify as a Christian, but... I recognize the ways that that can be oppressive, the ways that the history of the church has caused so much harm and continues to do so. And um, yet there isn't really much issue around Jesus. He's a pretty universally accepted figure. You know, like even secular people, um, you know, in the um, Islamic faith for Muslims, Jesus is really important as well as a prophet. Um, Many atheists I know are like, I hate Christianity, but that Jesus guy, he's really cool. And in essence, Christianity is really supposed to be a Jesus fan club. I mean, like we're, we're trying to follow this guy who demonstrated a different way of existence, a transformative way of existence that is continually bringing new life within us. And yet we've gone way off the rails with, um, you know, the institutionalization of Christianity as the predominant faith of the Roman Empire and so on and so forth. Like we've gone way off of the straight and narrow, so to speak. (laughs) Um, And for me, as I reflect theologically, spiritually, and, you know, again, in my podcast with uh, Byron Barefoot Timaeus, we do a lot of this. I wanted to wrestle with that question. What does it really mean to follow Jesus? What does it really mean to look at his teachings? What does it mean to lean into the spiritual that is all around us, the spiritual that gives life and truth? And so that idea of public theology for me is one of the best ways of doing that because it recognizes the wisdom that is outside of the church, whether it be in other faiths, other spiritual practices, in the secular world, in any aspect of our reality, there is truth present if we're able to look for it. Mm. We keep our eyes closed so often because we have, we're kind of siloed into our perspective and it's comfortable there. It's really difficult to step outside of that comfort. But I, I believe that life is outside of the comfortable. I think that we need to be challenging ourselves and stepping outside. Anyway, all that to say, good. my spiritual journey is um, what is most important to my life. Yeah. And part of that for me is justice. I look at the teachings of Jesus and I look at the reality of this world and the way that it breaks my heart. And I see you cannot separate these two. I don't need to go into all the theology and all the scripture as to why Jesus was absolutely an advocate for social justice, but take my word for it, that's the case. <laughs> uh, you're just some sort of social justice warrior. Yeah, yeah, right. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, Jesus never talked about that. Never. <laughs> he was up in the hoity-toity circles. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but we continue to have these issues. You know, throughout history, poverty and economic injustice has been an issue tribalism and racism and the systemically structured marginalization of people of different 
ethnic groups, other backgrounds, other countries or regions. This is so prevalent and pervasive and destructive in our society. We were talking earlier about like transphobia and homophobia and other concerns that are polluting our humanity. And the key to all of this is othering. Mm. It's saying you are not me, and therefore I can wield power over you. If you were me, I couldn't wield power over you. We're equal. We are the same. We are one. And so I need to come up with a way to make you separate in order for me to justify and practice that othering and then that oppression, that power dynamic. And so for me, the question of oneness is looking at who are we really? Are we 7.8 billion different people or are we something that is one? Mm. And so, Dang. the big question. Seriously, the, big, <laughs> the questions that Frederick stays up at night wondering <laughs> yeah. about. And I do stay up at night. <laughs> yeah, sleep. Hmm. <laughs> okay, so. Side note, I want to say, uh, we didn't really set up the scene here, but um, we are social distanced. Uh, we're inside the house. Frederick is outside the house on Mesa's porch. And classic to No Small Thing episode, you'll hear some cars going by in the background, which we hope adds a nice little ASMR touch yeah. to this. Yeah, a little ambiance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you need a blanket, by the way? No, okay. no, no. <laughs> Gotta stay warm, you know? I said to Marissa last night, I was like, uh, you know, I am very high maintenance, and I will constantly talk about what I want and need and stop all things. <laughs> So, so the only benefit of that is that nobody around me has to ever worry if I'm true, advocating for myself or not. Yeah. There has to be a silver line. That. <laughs> That's the silver lining. There it is. But I, I have another blanket that you, you would like. Oh, oh I'm, I'm great. I'm very warm. I'm toasty. I'm comfortable. Now, now I'm I will up. say, based on knowing Frederick, it's the exact opposite. <laughs> he, he will he will go down with the ship in, in utter pain before he ever mentions a need that he might no, have. No, no, no. <laughs> if my need is going to tread on you, okay. then I will, will recognize um, at what point of balance... Can I voice my this, needs all this and still honor you? Yeah. Oh, again, really <laughs> intense. Did I not mention that earlier? Intense, the most thoughtful, like yeah. intense on thoughtfulness. Very thoughtful. Yeah. All right. Sorry. We derailed. No, I think it is important though to say that my needs do not come below other people's. Ah, but it's nice. it's a collective. Again, that oneness. 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 <laughs> bring it back. We're bringing it back. Bringing it back. Okay. So, humanity. We describe ourselves as a collective. We, you know, from an evolutionary standpoint, we say we're a pack creature. We recognize our need for connection. So much of our society is revolved around how do we experience connection. For the side note, I'm terrible at this mic thing. So if you hear me go further out, that's that's all on me. It's not it's not your mics at home. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Not your mics, not your headphones, or yeah. No, I have to treat this mic like a snow cone. I'm I'm eating this right now. Putting an ice cream cone that you're. Okay, so sociologically, evolutionarily, we recognize that. Culturally, we recognize that. So much of our society revolves around how do we connect? How do we engage? I mean, pandemic times, this is the whole question. How do we continue to engage? We've recognized rates of depression going way up because of the ways that people have been distanced. So we know that Mm. we are meant to be connected from a scripture or theological background, you know, you look at the creation narratives in the first book of the Bible, Genesis, and it says that humanity was created in the image of our creator and then male and female, and I would say, and beyond, you know, Mm -hmm. there's a sense Mm -hmm. of the the fullness of humanity was created in that as a beautiful, multiplicative 
package of togetherness. Mm. And we're getting some Trinity shit up in here. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, absolutely. Um, And in the second creation narrative in the next chapter over, we see Adam, who is uh, humanity. It's not man. Mm -hmm. Let's be clear on Mm -hmm. that. It's not the male being made first, but Adam is humanity, was created and creator recognized it is not good for Adam to be alone. Mm -hmm. And so that uh, completion of connection was, was created out of Adam's rib, as it says, so that there is connection, that there is togetherness. So theologically, evolutionarily, socially, we recognize that. But do we act that way? Do well, we- I thought that creation narrative was about marriage. <laughs> there, there is some aspect of that, especially culturally, if you look at the Jewish community. Um, but we don't need to lean into all okay. of that right now. <laughs> yeah. no, there, I mean, take anything scripturally, and I guarantee you there are going to be multiple layers. Yeah. That's, that's the important thing, especially when we're talking about the creation of all things. It's like, oh, it's well, not going to be Well, I mean, simple. I was really trying. You're being very generous no, yeah, to an alternative using, perspective, but I'm trying to. a joke. Yeah, I'm trying to make light of the fact that people limit this mm, to a mm. very narrow understanding of marriage, and that's what they use this beautiful. Marriage is between a man and a woman. Yeah, yeah exactly. You just did it. <laughs> yeah. I like the way you're describing it. Yeah. Yeah. And... So my question then becomes, do we, do we act that way? Well, if we look at history, no, as a whole, we don't act that way. We treat other people as different. We, we pick out our friends. We pick out our community. But even then, we have fights and squabbles that represent our separateness, where I need to make sure that I'm heard first. You know, I need to make sure that my needs are met. And what happens? There, there's division. There's, you know, there's separation. There isn't oneness. Mm -hmm. Even if we were to lean into that idea and say, yes, we want to be one. I think when people talk about sexual intimacy, that is in a physical, and I would say emotional and spiritual sense too, possibly a very powerful resonance of that oneness where you are drawing together and in many ways connecting, but you're not fusing. It's not like you then become one person. It's mm. not Steven Universe. Mm. Oh, man, <laughs> I thought it was. What I know. It, it would be so cool if that I, happened, but... It's not Steven. Gosh, this is real life happening, everybody. Yeah. This is not... If you're driving in your car, you're not being pulled over. There's literally a fire truck going by the house right now. And I, I, I really safety. do, for our own style, love that we probably won't cut that out. Like, that's just, <laughs> yeah, it just, probably will just be That's part there. of the conversation. Yeah. Also, we went from sunny to it's it raining It was really now. sunny. I'm, I'm mm. bummed out. The total Seattle March vibe right now. I like to think that the weather's contemplating with us. True. <laughs> oh, our lack of oneness. Tears <laughs> from <Crying>. the sky. <laughs> Morning. Lament. Yeah. Um, don't get me started on lament. Lament okay. is a beautiful thing. Oh, we don't get shouldn't push it out of the church. Um, Okay, but you don't actually fuse. You don't actually connect. You know, even when we're, we're having... You don't actually connect? Well, I mean, <laughs> what I mean by that is like you don't become one. Yeah, literally. In, in a literal sense. Physical. So we, we, the, my point behind that is that we recognize that there isn't physical oneness. Mm-hmm. And emotionally, well, we have this thing called empathy where I can attempt to experience your emotions. But Mace, as we spoke before, one of your professors talked about the downfalls of empathy in that you never actually can experience what someone else is experiencing. And so if you presume to be doing so, you can actually cause harm. Mm. So there's a limit there too. Emotionally, we can't make that full connection. So 
is there any hope for us? Can we ever be fully connected? Is there hope? Is there hope? Just pause and wonder that. <laughs> Sit with us in that for a second. <laughs> is there any hope? I have hope? like four key words circulating in my mind, but I want you to Can keep going. Anyone right. <laughs> actually ever be connected? Okay, let's let's keep going. <laughs> and to me, I think we already are. Hmm. And I think that connection is spiritual. That's the language that I would use. To this describe is the thesis it. statement. This is the thesis mm-hmm. statement here. Mm-hmm. That we walk through the world using our five main senses sight, hearing, taste, touch, smell. And that predominates our perspective. So we tend to prioritize and give prevalence to the physical over other realities. Mm. But if we consider different planes that are overlapping in existence, the spiritual plane doesn't abide by the same rules as the physical plane. It doesn't have time and space, at least to the best of our knowledge. Honestly, we know nothing about it. We can pontificate, we can explore in spiritual practices, and I think there's a lot of wisdom there, but the point is that there's never an answer. Mm. There's never, because that's a very like European colonial mentality of needing to have this answer confined. And I think that's where we run into issues when we try to force it into a little box, Mm. but the spiritual doesn't fit into that box. And so I would say that we are not 7.8 billion Imago days, Imago day being Latin for image of God, image of our creator, but we are one in the image of creator. She made them not in the images Mm. or sending out those images, Mm. but one image. And that image is reflected on the spiritual plane and it is shared across all people. Dang. That's the first thing. I'm going to argue, argue. (laughs) This isn't an argument. Um, And then I'm going to (laughs) argue. I am going to open up. (laughs) There we go. uh, (laughs) The suggestion that perhaps that image, (laughs) that spiritual reality extends beyond the Imago Dei just being humanity, but being all of creation. Mm. I think a lot of- Snails? Snails? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Professor Jungbuck, absolutely, isn't it? I agree. (laughs) And the point isn't to say, yes, that is the case. The point is to say, yes, it is, and no, it isn't, and maybe it is. Mm. You know, it's it's not an answer that we can confine, and maybe it is multiple answers at the same time, and and that doesn't make sense to us because we operate in terms of limitations. We need constructs. We, you know, the mathematical mind, like that's that's how we live through this world. Mm -hmm. But imagine now, I got this wind blowing up behind me. (laughs) Close my eyes. Imagine (laughs) Imagine if you were able to shift your mindset to where you actually saw. Me right now, Scott Mace, you're looking at me. I'm looking at the two of you, and I saw myself. Where I knew that you were me and I was you. How could I possibly treat you any differently than I desire to treat myself? Mm-hmm. And that's holistic because it also affects the way that I treat myself. How do I love myself if I profess to love you? You know, or how do I love my creator if I don't love myself or love you? And it's and it's, it's all connected. If we were to have this perspective, imagine how different history would look. You know, not even to, like, imagine if we just shifted it now. Like, we don't have to erase the reality of history up until this point. But all the conflicts happening right now, all of the power grappling that is happening in terms of politics, in terms of social spheres, everyone who's trying to have something for themselves. If we recognized, well, I want to have this for us because us is I, Mm -hmm. you know, this this is one 
person, everything would change. Mm -hmm. Now, I want to be careful about stating a silver bullet solution because I have two thoughts on silver bullets. Either Ooh. one... Is this episode all of a sudden? Part two with Frederick Mansfield. Silver, silver bullets. Bullet. <laughs> one thought on the silver bullet is that it is... This is your audition for a second episode. Let's we'll see if we like this silver bullet content. <laughs> yeah. It is either incomplete so that it will not actually bring forth the change that you're desiring hmm. or it is far too difficult to ascertain because otherwise we would have it right now. You know, if it were so simple, we would just be doing it right now. Yeah. Mm. 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 So mm. that's all I'll say on the silver bullet. You don't need an episode of <laughs> well, that. I, think, oh, I, don't, I think that, that that last point is... I do want to talk about silver bullets. <laughs> what I've been thinking about is just like the stakes are really high. Like yeah. the to actually live out and to like hold that each person that you encounter, including like whole people groups and like taking into recognition, just like the, the patterns in which our world is like created the fabric of the way in which people are used for labor. Yeah. Like the implications are huge. Hmm. Like it's kind of like life altering and the stakes are very high, which is I think why people might hear this and be like, yeah, but to actually mm-hmm. like live and see that like that's, an entire paradigm shift that is not like casual. No. And imagine if one person were to say, okay, I buy that and I'm prepared to commit my life to that. Well, they would overly exhaust themselves. Exactly. And barely scratch the surface of the issues in our world. And truthfully, the system of not the system, I don't exist as much, <laughs> the body would not respond and, and take then care of this person in turn. I think a you body... Like a virus or something? Yeah, well, no, no, but it's just, um, it would be... Here, I'm going to describe the body image for a second here. Yes. Um, in, in Christianese, we have this idea of like the body of Christ mm-hmm. as the church today. And I think that is such a powerful image where if we look to the both the leadership and then also the the power and reality of Jesus as something that we have been ordained to embody and and transform this world with that love it's not proselytizing it's not about like oh convert you to my faith it's about healing mm. you don't have to say anything to do healing it's it's love that's how simple it is love is transformative when you really allow it to be now the church has totally failed at actually being that body but imagine for a second that we we consider that body Scripture also talks about the different parts of the body. Now, it's still one body. You can look at a thumb and a pointer finger or a toe or an ear and say, okay, these are different parts, but it's still one body. And Mm -hmm. so we recognize the commonality. When I walk, if I hurt my leg, my back, my hips, everything is going to adjust. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it responds intuitively. My back could be like, fuck you. Like, I'm, I'm doing fine over here. It's just you that's having an issue. Yeah. You know, but it doesn't because we, because it works as a system. Because it knows it's all one whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. And a strong part has the power to benefit the whole system. Like imagine a heart is do, just doing really well. Like that's going to pump blood really well to the rest of the body and everything's going to thrive and respond well. So it's not, not to say that strength can't come from an individual part, but a heart alone is going to die. Like mm-hmm. it, it needs a body and the body needs the heart. And so now imagine one cell, one little white blood vessel is responding to a disease that has spread through the entire body. It's not going to be able to do anything. 
It's gonna yeah. try to do something and then just like die out. That's that's what I think a white blood cell sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's not gonna work. Mm-hmm. You know, the single cell is not effective on its own. It's the entire body that gives it power. And so this is not to say to anyone, go live your lives differently now because you alone can make this difference. Now, again, with the heart image, I do think that there is power that an individual can represent. And so, you know, again, I'm, I go to scripture a lot because that's my background. Um, yeah. There's this idea of being a light on a hill where we are meant to shine and, and give that example. And I think living a transformed life, living a life of love, living a life of recognizing the oneness, how we steward that love to all of humanity that we consider not just the people in our immediate vicinity, but the people on the other end of the world. The people that we, when we buy our cheap clothing from Gap, you know, the, the children who are in terrible conditions who have made that, like, they are us. Mm. I yeah, made that shirt, yeah. you know? Yeah. Like, like, what if their pain felt like me? I felt that pain, not necessarily on a physical level, but like on a spiritual level. I resonated with that. Um, we need to be a body in this. This is not something that I am commissioning any person on their own to do and, and fall short and be like, ah, Frederick told me that I could like change the world. Right, <laughs> right. Well, this is, I mean, okay, this is an interesting thought. Like, I do like to think a lot about Imago Day. Like, that's probably of the pressing Christian themes, the one that I am always thinking about. And I don't know how I've never really thought of it in terms of the whole body being the image of God, but then... And it's making me think if we pull back and it's like, well, if our image of God is of like a relational trinity, which has like interdependence, it's like, yeah, then there's implications for the specificity within the body, but the like required interdependence and required relational nature of it. It's like that is, that is the image being bared, not in an individual, but in the individual's connection to the others. Yeah. The Trinity is such a beautiful image for that. And for those who don't know, in Christianese, we have this idea of our, I'm going to say God. I'm actually trying to fast from using that word to describe the divine. Ooh. Um, so, <laughs> Another episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the divine is described as being in three parts, but also being one. Mm-hmm. And there is no analogy that perfectly describes this. Hmm. That's kind of the point, is that we yeah. can't understand it. And so, Mace, I really appreciate that you, you brought that up because I do think in that way you can look at the difference among people, that you have your different lived experience than I do. The way that you walk through the world is different than how I do. And so we can be two, but then also be one. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. And resonate in that I am you, and so I can't take your experiences for granted. I, and, and honestly, if I want to be fully connected and in tune with myself, I need to know you. Yeah. You know, and, and the more that I know you, the more I know myself. The more that I know all the people around the world. And I recognize, you know, there's a limit of time. You can't hear everyone's life story. But leaning into that sense of <laughs> <Frederick's> connection. journey. <laughs> oh, I would love that. life if, story. If <laughs> yeah, give me an infinite amount of time. And that is ah. one of the things that I would do. Yeah. <laughs> kind of trailed We're, off there. <laughs> Where are we at? We're talking about Trinity? Oneness. Oneness? In Trinity. But I do think that that's, I guess for me, I'm always like, yeah, oneness, it is My head's swimming a, a recognition bit. of like multiplicity yeah. in the oneness. Yeah. It's not like a, you're not presenting like a vast sweep over, but rather like 
I don't know. I've been doing a lot of readings around mm. Trinity and Imago Day, so you bringing this up is fascinating to me. And like, it it does like, I think we quickly sweep over oneness as like a homogeneous thought. Yeah. Like homogamy, homogamy, homogeny, homogeny. That's the mm-hmm. way you say that. Is like what we mean. It's like, oh, let's all just be one. And it's like, well, being one requires like true oneness requires real attentiveness to the specificity of each other's bodies, which I think one thing that like I get concerned as you're talking of Mm -hmm. like, this is just a spirituality. Like we're one on a spiritual level. Like I think knowing you, I know that you don't separate spirituality from embodied selves, but I do think that's an important thing where like church and religion has a way of like splitting the body from the mind. Yeah. And so I feel like there there has to also be a, a clear recognition of embodied spirituality. Absolutely. Thank you for thank you for bringing that up. Both of those thoughts were awesome. Um, yes, the the body, the mind, the soul are integrated. They are holistic. They are interconnected and mutual, and in many ways one. Yeah. And so the attempt to separate them would be coming to the same issue as <laughs> what I was trying to describe with with oneness about how we are disintegrated as as a people. So I, I don't mean to say that the spiritual is somehow separate, but I find it helpful to be able to articulate the significance of our interconnection and singularity, um, which is to say that it transcends the spiritual into the physical, and as we engage in a physical world, we can carry that oneness forward to be more holistically connected even in, in this experience. I guess you could say part of what having a religion or a practice or a spirituality or a belief system or a faith system or whatever is trying to make a spirituality, a spiritual reality into physical reality in, in, as much as possible. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Because these things that you're talking about, one, this seems to be a spiritual reality. Yeah. And then we're being invited. I don't know what word you were using earlier. I, I love invited. Let's yeah. invite. Let's invite people. That's good. <laughs> to, to try to make that a a, a reality, a yeah. physical reality. I guess you could say. Yeah. Side note: I'm the weatherman today. But there, it, it it started off really sunny, and then just a second ago, while Frederick was talking, it was pouring rain, and Plenty now it's rain. subsided. And this all happens within sixty seconds. Welcome to Seattle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wonderful verse, Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I think that is a lot of what spirituality is representing. It's not to say that humanity or this creation is bad. I think that's one of the temptations that Christians often fall into is condemning this world. Like, oh, look, it says don't be transformed or conformed to this world. But it's recognizing that there are temptations that we fall into. I think one of the main temptations is that otherness. It's that desire yes. for power. Yes. And so it's, it's recognizing what those temptations in the way that we navigate this world and saying, you don't need to give them your full attention. You don't need to allow those delusions to take you away from the absolute truth. Mm-hmm. Uh, the truth that life and love and beauty are one and that is worth exploring. And we allow that to transform us. We take that truth and it transforms our mind. And I think that's what Jesus is inviting us into. Uh, Mace, I want to go back to one thing you said earlier because I think it's really important. Great. Um, you, you were talking about how the idea of oneness um, can erase 
individuality. Yeah. And I think that's a really important thing to bring up that what I'm speaking to is not uniformity, right. but unity. And the difference there mm. is that unity acknowledges the depth of who we are as necessary to our collective togetherness. That yeah. if the body, again, back to this image, were just a bunch of eyeballs, it wouldn't yeah. work. <laughs> you know, like there, there's a recognition of the beauty of the hand and knowing how the hand works together with the wrist into the arm, into the shoulder, how the heart works to pump that and the lungs to carry that oxygen forward. There is a synergy of recognizing who you are and how the divine reflects through you. As I lean into looking at that and finding that and being connected to that, it doesn't erase your individuality. It celebrates it and welcomes it as a part of the bigger puzzle of the beauty of the Imago Dei. And that's the thing. The Imago Dei is continually growing. Mm. Mm -hmm. Every single person who is born or every aspect of creation, every snail, every tree. (laughs) We're just going to insert that. (laughs) I love it. We get to know more of who our creator is through this. Mm. That's beautiful. Yeah. I guess if you go with the body metaphor too, and unity and all this, it's, it's like what humans constantly discover for the, for all of human history is that, uh, our, our bodies are constantly surprising us. Yeah. Our hands are capable of so much more than we mm. think our hands are capable of. In terms of our body working together, we're capable of all sorts of movements and dances and people do things with their legs and backs and yeah. all that, that we've never seen before. And so yeah. there's something of like, oh, I know exactly what a hand's for. I want you to be a hand, mm. just as I think a hand should be. And mm. a hand picks things up, a hand does this. And it's like, well, hands can do all sorts of things. And yeah. I want you to be as uh, your strongest version of a hand, you know, and that's going to, there's, there's an infinite way of, of what hands can do too. Yeah. But I think it's just that idea of like everybody being their full, their full yeah. thing. Absolutely. You know? There's an aspect of disability theology hmm. that leans into to that too. Into this. Dang, Where we say, dang, what about dang. different bodies? Yeah. You know, do we look at oh, those Frederick, and say, Oh, suddenly that's melding. <laughs> <laughs> hey, oneness. <laughs> oneness. I'm melding. <laughs> you know, do, do we look at this, body that is not what has been normatized by our society and do we say suddenly oh that's broken that hand isn't fitting into that glove the way that we wanted it to right or do we say wow we now have a fuller and bigger understanding of what the body can be because of this and we are expanding our appreciation for all that it can hold yeah and do we you know let's say we have a hand that has six fingers do we make a glove that has now six fingers so that we can be more uh, attuned. Attu- yeah, thank you. I was going to say accommodated, but that's not the word I was looking for. Attuned is a perfect word. How do we be in tune with the full richness mm-hmm. of that mm-hmm. body? Well, Ooh. it's it's Ooh. getting me thinking, as we were talking about this idea of othering, I feel like particularly the disabled community or anyone with othering abilities has been a very particular scapegoat for othering mm. in society. Yeah. And like a place where we see that delineation of othering happen where it's like, but I think the reality is each one of us will encounter differing abilities because of our body in our lives. Like each one of us has different places in which ability is going to show up in our life, but Mm. we are like drawn into this idea of othering where it's like, I need a car to drive to the store and nobody looks at that and says that that's a disability. But if I needed a wheelchair to get to the store, someone would look at it and see it as other. And it's like, we're creating Mm. these structures of othering 
based on one particular kind of person's way of existing. Yeah. And so our whole society is not attuning to everyone's needs. And so our society in the way it's set up is like set up to create scapegoats for othering. Yeah. I took a <sighs> I took a disability studies course yeah. in undergrad. It was overwhelming. <laughs> <laughs> and it was one of the most transformative classes. It completely changed the way that I look at uh, how society views disability. One of the things that they said is that uh, disability is not actually a derogative term because it's recognizing that a certain body or mind has been disabled. Mm. It's not to say that they are broken but they have been disabled by the society that has yep. normatized bodies oh, and minds. Yep, that's that there it is. Them. And they gave a perfect, Dang. I mean, this is like a perfect to me image of how to conceptualize this. Imagine that we were in a society where we didn't have roads or sidewalks or everything. Every door was like two or three feet tall and everyone was rolling around on a wheelchair. Yeah. And all of, you know, we didn't have roads or anything. We just had tracks mm. and tracks went into everything. And so anyone on a wheelchair could zip on by through all these tracks and someone who's walking around on their two legs who's not using a wheelchair is incredibly uh, disabled by that society. Yes. Yeah. Yes. They, they wouldn't know how to do it. Yes. Just learn something new. Uh, <laughs> I was reading something the other day, so it's on my mind, of Martha's Vineyard mm. in I, New York. Somewhere in the East Coast. <laughs> Essentially, in that town, like a lot of people are hard of hearing. And mm. so learning sign language is just kind of often like uh, a given it's like that's part of like the early curriculum and because people like people who don't learn sign language in that town are like othered as being disabled because the dominant culture there is to speak using sign language and is like it's like giving you an alternative of like, yeah, here's a place in which actually if you can't speak sign language, that's seen as the disability. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So I don't, I don't want to get like, well, why not? But I, I'm not super political here or anything like that. But I, I think like um, the, the, the sort of confounding thing about, I guess, being in the realm of Christianity in America, mm-hmm. that's what we are. Yeah. Uh, I, I think there's so many, um, oh, I'm trying to use soft, gentle words here. Um, <laughs> call them conservative folks. Yeah, who would hear this and be like, absolutely, oneness. We're all one. We're all equal. We're all created in the image of God, yeah. and that's why America is so wonderful. Everybody has equal opportunities, and. I worked really hard to get to where I am and everyone has the exact same opportunity. I'm so grateful we live in a land of opportunity where somebody can work just as hard as I did and pull themselves up by their bootstraps. Everybody has that same opportunity. I love what you're talking about. Oneness. We are one. Yeah, America. <laughs> it's it's so funny that you ended on that note because America is not one with the world. Right, right, you right. Know, we have troops in over a hundred different countries. We I'm are actively what, bombing I'm countries that we haven't even declared we're say. in war with. You know, any kind of nationalism, any yeah. kind of patriotism that creates an other where we say we are number one, we are necessarily distinct from other people that is automatically not mm-hmm. falling into this oneness mm-hmm. that is automatically not falling into the universal love of christ but we are a city on a hill we are bringing oneness <laughs> oh to God. the world and if, if people did it like america they would experience oneness just like we are the land of the free 
don't think anyone that had had that opinion would have made it this far in the pod. You know, if they are here, I welcome you because oh. I yeah. see you'd be surprised. You. You'd be surprised because they'd hear everything you're saying and they say, "I love that." Totally yeah. agree. That's why I'm American. Yeah, I, I talk to these people literally from the moment I wake up to the moment I go to bed. <laughs> you know, I personally, and this has a lot to do with the identities that I have. I'm, a, you know, in, in terms of society's stature, I've been, um, I have a lot of uh, like dominant identities as far as like what has been normatized and empowered by society um, as, you know, white, cis, straight man. Um, and so I view it as a lot of my responsibility to be in conversation with such people. So if mm-hmm. you're here on this podcast, I welcome you. Welcome. And I think this is a beautiful place for you to be, mm-hmm. to come into this conversation. And rather than presuming that you have the right question and the, and the right answer, this goes for anyone too, not just those people. You don't have the right answer. And you will never learn. You will never go deeper if you think you do. Less certain, more curious. Less certain, more curious. The, the value, the wisdom... Curious is in asking questions. It's yeah. in letting go of the need to know and the need to be in control that you already have the answer. And so leaning into this conversation, what does it mean to be one? Mm-hmm. You know, I look at the strata, the economic and social strata of our society where we have people who are born into homelessness and die in homelessness. We have people with all sorts of physical and mental and emotional needs that are not being met by our society because of their class, because of their access to medication or whatever, um, you know, medical support and need that they have. We have a culture that perpetuates this notion of individuality, which says that I can do it on my own. And that, to me, is not recognizing oneness. That is that idea that says, I am necessarily apart and separate. I'm not even talking about the influence of history. Like, we all need to be informed by history and recognize, how is it that I'm in this place? Anyone, doesn't matter where you are in society, there is a reason that you're in the place that you're in. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, you did not make your place right now. You did stuff. You did stuff. I, everyone, everyone does stuff. This is the important thing. I agree with you. I'm just saying. Well, well, so like, let's say someone, you know, is they worked hard Mm -hmm. and, uh, got a nice job somewhere, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm not trying to say they didn't work hard. Right. Right. That's no, you know, I don't think anyone thinks that (laughs) the recognition is, um, you know, did you have the emotional support from your parents? to encourage you that you could succeed? Did you see yeah. role models present in your society that looked like you, that showed you, hey, I can do this? You know, did you have access to early education and uh, teachers that supported you, that believed in you as well? You know, all of these dynamics and so much more. Did you have food on your table? Right. Was that something you needed to worry about when you went to school? I don't know where my lunch is coming from. You know, there, I could list a bajillion different questions, but the recognition of saying all of this is part of a very nuanced and complicated society that we live in. And so no part of this should ever, again, I, I don't think anyone on any side of the political spectrum, any spiritual aspect should say, I've got it covered. I understand how it all works. There are so many details mm, that we will amen. never be aware of. Right. 
I don't know all of where yeah. I am. You know, I haven't interrogated my entire life. I'm aware a lot of how I walk through the world. I try to be, um, but there's still so much I don't know. There's still tons of blind spots that I have. I don't realize, you know, the harm that I might cause someone based on how I exist and walk through the world. Um, so it's a constant posture of humility. You know, if, if nothing else, I think leaning into oneness is leaning into unknowing and humility. Mm. How do I, and, and empathy. How do I look at someone else and not just say, you didn't take the right steps, but ask them, what steps did you take? And why is it that you are here? Not in a, an accusatory sense, but in a genuinely curious sense. I want to get to know you. I want to know your story. And I find the more you know someone's story, the less you can judge them. Mm. Because you understand. And so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. I, I, so, you know, uh, we're, we're going to be talking about, like, in, in the youth group pretty soon, we're going to be talking about resurrection and Easter mm. and God's kingdom, whatever that means. Queendom, kingdom. Queendom. Queendom. And this idea of making a spiritual reality of, of, of earthly reality, you know, yeah. all these images, Christianese. Um, I think... I mean, it might be interesting for you to talk about sort of what you feel called to do with your life mm. because mm-hmm. there's sometimes seems that, you know, I've got a Bernie Sanders sign sitting yeah. right here in front of me. <laughs> Bernie, <You know>? Bernie. <laughs> uh, in terms of our current political American yeah. situation, that might be the closest thing we have to what you're talking about politically, you know, uh, represented by a political figure. Right, exactly. But, but, but it seems to, I think, <laughs> Got I'm some eyes over here. Yeah. It seems that you would, you would seem to be saying with your life, yeah. your actions, yeah. the trajectory you're on, that there is some sort of hope embedded in the idea that we can create small communities that are lights on a hill or representative of the greater reality that you'd like to see enacted in the world. Yes. <laughs> small communities that are necessarily external. Yeah. You know, they're not isolated. I'm not trying to have this like cloister, yeah, this you're religious to... monastery separate from society. Have you read Celtic Wave Evangelism? That'll be my next book, apparently. I, I feel like you really, I feel like <laughs> you We're going to really read this Princeton hear. person and you're going to read... Kiangi Yamada Taylor, yeah. 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 This, I mean, this book is, I read it years ago and I have to read it again for class soon, but it's kind of this notion of like radical acceptance and creating Mm. a place where like foreigners and travelers can come and feel fully at home and like being like you're saying an external um an external representation of this i mean in a lot of ways oneness i I feel like i will find it and give it to you because i think you'll like it (laughs) you'll just do an out loud reading series (laughs) on the podcast but um i think frederick you correct me if i'm wrong but a lot of like what your oneness the way you perceive or think about oneness in the world has a lot to do with economics. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and I think you have a community in mind that would (laughs) exemplify exactly what you want. Mm -hmm. Okay. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? I would love to. (laughs) When I think about the power breakdown, the hierarchy, the oppressive structures of our society, I think we cannot ignore the influence and impact and structural root of economics in that. And I'm not even necessarily talking about money, but it's a recognition that power is what people are pursuing and and what leads to those structures existing. And economics is the predominant uh, way of maintaining and controlling power in our society today. If I have a dollar 
that is $1 of access. That is $1 of power that I have. If I have a million dollar home on Queen Anne, <laughs> you know, that is an asset that I can use to benefit me and push me forward in society. And these are the means that we need to defend. I think it's important that we talk about any kind of justice issue. We necessarily understand the intersectionality. That in any kind of power conversation, it's not just about economics. It's the intersection of race and sex and gender and all sorts of other things that you, if you look into it, you realize how these are so interconnected. That in the United States today, Poverty is not equally split across races. White people are at the top in general. And that's not, you know, again, because this is all nuanced and complicated. It's not to say that there aren't any poor white people. Right. But it's, it's to recognize that the system was created to empower a very particular group, the elite, and to subjugate all other peoples in, in this power structure to perpetuate the system, to maintain and sustain the system of oppression. So economics is not only integral to that system, it's also, in a really fascinating way, the most flexible power that we have to redistribute. Hmm. That I can be humble and intentional when I walk into spaces to recognize how my whiteness or my maleness or my cisness or any aspect of my identity takes up space and I can make you know, take backspace or or step away from the the main center stage and I can be um, navigating that space very intentionally. But I can't take off my white skin. I can't take off my male privilege or, you know, like these aren't things that are as simple as giving away my money. Now, importantly, I can't give away my social capital to the same extent. Like if I have friends and communities, unless I'm going to estrange them, you know, and even then the 25 years of my life that I've lived up until this point have benefited from the effects of the class that I have been born into. And so whether it, you know, shaping my perspective around um, uh, education or um, the skills that I've learned as a result of how to navigate the system or whatever, you know, like all this has been influenced by that. I can't let go of that. But I, I think to Philippians 2, which is a powerful scripture that says, Jesus Christ, who being in very nature the divine creator, did not consider equality with the divine something to be grasped, but instead humbled himself and became a servant. And there is this, and he tells his disciples too, as he washes their feet, which is like an incredible shift of power, go and do likewise. Hmm. This is the message. Humble yourselves. Recognize the power that you walk through the world and submit, not in a place of self-degradation, but from a place of recognizing the desire for ultimate and universal liberation. And so Scott was talking about my idea for a community, and this is really my sense of call. I want to start an intentional community church that is founded on the model of the people who knew Jesus best, his apostles, after Jesus left. What did they do? They sold all their possessions. And that which they had, they had in common. It's koinonia in Greek this recognition that I don't own this thing. You don't own this thing. We own this thing. I don't have any more right to this. It's, it's letting go of the power that it can have over me, that sense of needing to hoard and, and greed and have power. And 
what they sold, they distributed to those who had need. There are external texts outside the Bible um, where people of uh, the Roman Empire are harshly critical because at this time the um, Christians were a persecuted community. They hadn't yet been institutionalized into the Roman Empire. But there are Romans who are reflecting those heathens, those Christians, you know, they're doing all sorts of horrible things, whatever, whatever, whatever. But we recognize that they are caring not only for their poor, but for our own as well. Mm. Mm. There was this overabundant flow of transformation where this little tiny community was able to have an impact beyond themselves in a society that also had struggles with economic injustice and poverty and famine and, and struggles that way. The Christians were able to meet those needs to a broader community beyond themselves. That's transformation right there. Mm. There was the embodiment, and it's not from a place of self-sacrifice of, um, you know, this kind of like masochism or like needing to make myself less in, you know, a self-degratory way. It was from the abundant overflow of love in their hearts where they looked out and saw others and they say, you are beloved. And Mm. so I can't look at you in your need and say, well, go in peace. No, I'm going to meet your need if I have the possibility to do so. Well, that means requiring selling all I have. Perfect. I'll reach as many people as I can with that. That is a model that is so different from our capitalist society today. Yeah. And that's not something you can mandate or control through a government. I, I think that government is mitigating our worst human instincts. <laughs> and I think that's all it's doing is that it, it's... <laughs> <laughs> that's really funny. That, that, that's the only, only positive benefit. The rest yeah. is, is destruction. Yeah. You know, war and nationalism and stuff. So beyond that mitigation, we can't trust and rely on the government to solve our issues. That's for us to do. And if you care, you need to lean into that and allow that hurt to resonate with you spiritually and to transform you until you cannot hold back. This is why I think, I mentioned how I love lament. I think lament is so important to any spiritual community and honestly, any community at all. There are so many, I think of the murder of George Floyd recently, this, you know, last year, there were a lot of white allies who came on board at this moment Mm -hmm. because that video, that story was something that shook them. Now the question is, well, what about all the other videos? What about all the other beautiful black men and women and people and kids who were murdered at the hands of police? Some came on board at those points, but the point is there is, it's always too late. Yeah. And when you step in, you know, where are they now? It's been less than a year and there's not still the same energy. Yeah. Does it mean that they didn't care? Potentially, there might be some who didn't care. But I think there's a parable in scripture that describes this really well. There's a parable called the parable of the sower. And in this case, there's someone who's throwing out seed all over the place. And some of it lands on dry soil. In this place, the shoot rises up really fast. And you got this little blooming bud, but then it withers really quickly because it doesn't have sustenance. And that sustenance is a spiritual richness and it's an emotional connection that is lacking where you can hear the story and be like, that is horrible. That is horrendous. I need to step in. But then you step in, you're like, Oh my gosh, this is overwhelming. There's so much. I can't possibly solve this. And now I feel really bad and I don't want to feel bad. So I'm going to step out. Yeah. Now that might not be a conscious process, but like ultimately at some point you say, okay, you know, I I've, I've done my bit and I'm, I'm burnt out. Right. Well, 
if you are part of that community, you don't have the opportunity to be burned out. You are still there. Yeah. You're still a community who's been, you can't escape it. Exactly. And so you are grounded in some ways by this lament. Lament is a recognition of pain and sitting in that pain and saying, we are not trying to solve this pain in this moment. We are just trying to be present in this pain. And I think there's spiritual richness and beauty to that because of the reality of brokenness in our world. And I think for white people, for people of any um, privilege and power who haven't necessarily experienced the same degree of pain and lament who are therefore not fully leaning into the fight of mutual and universal liberation, you need to make lament part of your spiritual discipline, part of your spiritual practice. Mm. Set some time aside to just allow yourself to mourn. Mm. Don't want to do that. No, no, it's, it's not comfortable. It's, <laughs> we gotta. It, we have to. <laughs> and when you do that, over time, what's going to happen is you're going to be transformed. Yeah. You're going to be renewed where suddenly that difference, that disconnect is no longer there. I think about, uh, I'm going to be very vague in this because it's not my story to share, but there's someone mm. that I know who had someone that they knew who passed away from a drug overdose. And I had met this person once. And I had no real connection to this person. But this person that I knew who lost them was really mourning in this. And so I wanted to be present in that mourning as well. And what I did was I sat down and I thought about that one memory, that one connection that I had with this person. And I told myself, this person is your brother. And the moment I said that to myself, I started weeping. When as soon as I th- saw this man as my brother, it's like, damn, I lost my brother. Mm. And I only had one chance to meet him. One chance, and then now he's gone. And it broke my heart. And that's the process, that's the, the position that I try to do when I hear people who are murdered by the police or people who are experiencing justice anywhere around the world. I try to put myself in the position of saying, I am intimately connected with this person. It's still a process. It's still growing. But the more that I can lean into saying, that's me. Their suffering is me. The person who lost that person is me. The more that I can't hold back but be transformed by that lament. Yeah. We're dealing with so many topics here. My my head (laughs) is swimming. I mean, one of the things, side note, I mean, not side note, right on topic, I, I... I, I do totally agree with you with this idea of lament. And I just finished, I, well, I, I've been kind of sick. So I binged WandaVision yesterday and, and the whole thing is sort of um, a metaphor for what, what damage can be done if somebody doesn't allow themselves to lament, mm. you know, and that's something that we don't do well as a society. But it's interesting if we step outside the realms of like our everyday reality and go back flying into the skies of the spiritual realm. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, thinking about otherwise possibilities and imagination and uncertainty. And it is sort of haunting to a certain extent when you think about there is a way you could look at our society. And you said this, I don't know exactly how you said it, but you said it so well, like mitigate our worst impulses or something like that. (laughs) Even for government. Yeah. yeah. Um, There's a certain reality, spiritual speak, spirituality, spiritually speaking, um, where you're talking about possessions and money and resources. Like somebody could come up to you and say, I need a hat. Give me that. Yeah. You know, it's not yours. <laughs> you know? Right, yeah. right. And to a certain extent, we... I like Fred would be like, oh, yeah, we, <laughs> this is yours. Yeah, you I know. Are. You, Frederick like, would. <laughs> we, we sort of police 
and allow for injustice. We say, yeah, uh, yeah we're actually, you know, it, it, from a godly spiritual perspective, somebody can come up and say, I actually need a place to stay tonight. I'm coming into your house. And, yeah. we, and we go, oh, no, I actually call the police and that's illegal. So I'm going to make right. sure you can't right. do that. And yeah, I mean, there's if 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 certain people were saying they're representing God by calling attention to the fact that your property isn't yours. Yeah. My brother said this to me a, a few weeks ago. We were talking about being anti-racist, you know, and he's like, you know, where do you draw the line? He was like, let me ask you a question. You know, like what if a black person came up to you and said, I, I need $20,000, give me $20,000. And I was like, you know, it's a really hard question because probably if that literally happened tomorrow, I would hesitate to give some someone $20,000. But to answer your question, I'd like to think that I would, you know, mm-hmm. or, or that society in general or people in general or communities in general should not necessarily, that's obviously wrong yeah. to demand $20,000. Cause we were also talking about reparations and stuff like that. Yeah. But, uh, I, I like to think that maybe this, this is maybe making it too playful for people that are living in privilege, but like, <laughs> let's go there. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <Too playful. laughs> like, like for us right here and friends of ours for like a week or something to, 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 to practice that, to be like, uh, like very playfully. So this is getting too playful, but like, just to be sitting here and me arbitrarily being, I want that hat. And you go, and you have to <laughs> for the like, week be like, to. okay, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. that's actually a good exercise. Yeah. It's, that would be really interesting to me. The question is, why do you want that hat? Right. You know, like we need yeah. to lean into that. <laughs> this is something I think people are very quick to come up with some really simplistic counterpoints where they haven't, this is not about like arrogance, but like they haven't spent as much time developing that counter argument. It, it just, it's a very easy like way to wave the hand away. Yeah. And so the idea of like, oh, you know, if a you know, black man approaches you and says reparations, give me $20,000. That's overly simplistic because you don't have $20,000 for every single black person. Right, in the country, right, right. You know, and, um, just a little thought experiment. Yeah. I mean, yeah. like, let's say hypothetically speaking, you do that and now, um, you lose your house because you can't pay a mortgage or something, yeah. you know, like it's, it's more complicated than that. But the fact that you're living in a house here in, in Queen Anne, Seattle is representative of your class privilege mm-hmm. over so many other people. And mm-hmm. so a better question is rather than how do I, just immediately abdicate that it's again community how do we lean into the interconnection where this is actually sustainable into a body where as the hand i can do all the hand stuff and and give everything that i have so that the arm and the shoulder and everything will take care of me too Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. there's this interconnection Mm -hmm. this mutuality where Uh, yes yeah yes you know you're saying you gave your twenty thousand away (laughs) now your mortgage needs to pay be paid i pay your mortgage now i'm hungry mace gives me food like you know there's a sense of interconnection yeah yeah Yeah. because i see your need as mine even the question that my brother asked and my answer implies this individuality like it's just me and my money and this person and that there's no other outside systems or yeah yeah, this invites this invites saying no it's like I mean, this is like you're proposing like a whole community. It's like you can't do this alone. Yeah. You can't like participate and be like, oh, I'm going to have a oneness mindset on your own. Like it actually requires that you, that other people are in it with you. Yeah. And even a community is still limited because if there are things that that community has in their possession, well, then those are possessions that other people don't have. Mm. Now, the only way to perfectly do this would be to have a global community, but that's just not going to function. For one, that's going to be impossible to reach. But secondly, like, how do we share a guitar from one side of the country to the, you know, to the other side or whatever? Um, so it's it's not about achieving a true 
equality as much as leaning toward that with every step we take. Mm-hmm. You know, how do we, how do we lean into that? So now that our community is this way, we have much more to give. Oh, well, we still see limitations and we in our hearts want to continue to grow. So we're going to expand our community. Or we're going to find other partnerships or ways that, you know, we can give more because we can trust this other community to be able to provide when we have need. And so you expand your network. And then that cell grows into more and more into a full body. Yeah. You know, I, I want the model of church that I have to be one of a billion cells, ah. a, you know, a billion might be too much, but that is kind of representative of like, it shouldn't be too With you big. As the ultimate authority. No, not at all. No, I, I want zero authority. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about the aspect of economic redistribution and yeah. I should not be the one to say where that money goes. Right. That's still a savior mentality. That's still, it's my money yeah. that's going to you. Oh, look at me, charity. I'm being so nice. No, yeah. it's not mine. Yeah. It's in my power. Yeah because I've been empowered by our society, but it's not my money. Imagine if we changed the way that we looked at how we operate through the world and we realized, oh, I have a lot of power that's been given to me and I continue to be complacent in this power as other people don't have that. That would be very transformative. Unfortunately, that's very like guilt-ridden message. And so that's not what I want to be preaching to people because I don't want people to feel guilt. Because again, that's going to be separate. Now you're looking at yourself. You're not looking at the collective. The point is that you are mutually transforming yourself to lean away from this individualistic mindset into the collective to recognize the needs of the other as something that is your own need. It's it's a really interesting dance we do with this idea of like even gratitude. Yeah. And I want to cultivate more gratitude in my life. I want to be overflowing with gratitude. Absolutely even the way I live right now currently is based on donations. Like my work with beloved rise is based on donations yeah. and I want to be so grateful for anybody that's supporting the work of beloved rise. On the other hand, it, it is funny how we create systems and expectations mm-hmm. around these sorts of things because I've been in the realm of Christianity my whole life with the young life and church and donate, not just donations, but tithes. And there's this idea of like, thank you so much. Like big, um, uh, uh, you know, aggressive displays of gratitude for these things and it's good, but it also creates what you were saying, this, this idea of you're, you're doing it for that recognition yeah. rather than the acknowledgement that this is all God's resources, you know? Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm just as guilty of that too. If I, if I gave anything to anybody, I would, I would want a lot of acknowledgement <laughs> <laughs> just to be honest. I think this like calls into mind, like, also the paradigm shift of seeing like justice work or like all this like stuff we're talking about of oneness is like tied into liberation work. And yeah. just this idea of like, you're saying like the guilt that people can feel. And it's like, well actually like, like you're speaking to this idea of no, this requires transformation and like for you to recognize like that there are the disparities and see that, attending to those is not like coming down and like fixing anything, but actually like tied up in my own, like your own liberation tied up in your own healing. Then it like, it stops becoming this like charity thing. And it starts being like, no, actually my well being is tied up in your well being. And Mm. I am not well. If you are not well, do not like that. Americans (laughs) do not like that. There is a Leela Watson quote. She is an Mm. Aborigine woman. yeah. No, keep, keep talking, <laughs> but yes. Um, now, to be fair, she, she wants this quote to be communicated to or um, um, attributed to her whole community. She doesn't want it to be just like her okay. idea. But the idea of this quote is, if you are coming here seeking my healing, you're wasting your time. Go home. Go home. If you're coming here for desire of mutual liberation, then let us work together. Yeah. 
Yeah. That's, I mean, that's probably where I'm going to lead with my unity reflections once I start, but I'm tired of talking about unity for the time being. So we'll see what <laughs> happens. But no, I mean, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, I cut you off. Do you want to say more about that? I want us to be able to look at both the mourning and the celebration of another and to see that as our mourning and celebration. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want us to look at the need and say, that is my need. And I don't want someone to come in here and be all paternalistic about my need. And so I'm not going to do that to them. And I'm going to recognize that the system is so much more complicated than a quick little fix. Charity, and my biggest issue with charity, is that it is almost always an attempt to assuage one's own guilt. Ah, yep. yeah. We yep. are guilty about the power and positionality that we have in society, so I'm going to give a little bit and then I'm going to feel better about myself, but I don't actually care. Right. Actually caring is something that's transformative. Mm-hmm. And as you transform in that and you realize, oh, that little money I gave, sure, that did something, but there's still need, and so I need to lean into that. Oh, that's too much need that I can't possibly meet with all of what I have? Well, then let me lament. Yeah. Let me be part of that and be transformed. And the more that I lament and the more that it becomes my experience and my feelings, well, the more I'm going to desire and demand that something happens. Mm. And so I'm going to expand my reach to my community and welcome them into this lament, welcome them into this participation. Yeah. This is what I have such a hard time these days getting my head around certain labels. And I keep starting our youth group by addressing labels because what happens is, you know, we all find ourselves in this you know, season of history, you know, where we're, we're the ones alive right now. Yeah. Uh, we're the ones that need to make the decisions and, you know, engage our particular context and humans in front of us and systems. And we're trying to imagine something different or we're trying to pay attention to a spiritual reality. And we try to say something like, Oh, your liberation is tied up in mine. And then somebody goes, you're talking about socialism and they walk away. I'm like, wait, wait, wait. And maybe there's elements, yeah, but yeah. like, I'm just starting a, starting a conversation about spiritual reality. Like, <laughs> I, I, like we can't even have a conversation because everybody's got their radars. It's almost like, it's almost like when you have your phone camera on and, and there's those little squares that start to appear that identify faces. Mm. It's like all of our brains are like that. We're looking at people and we're listening to their words and we go, oh, socialist, Republican, conservative, uh, de- deconstructionist, yeah. Christian, yeah. Muslim, yeah. blah. Oh, yeah, no, I understand what you're saying. You're talking about, you're a progressive. <laughs> and, and you're like, wait, let me just explain this thing about Jesus. That I read. No, 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 no. Oh, yeah, I'm not yeah. one of those social <laughs> justice warriors. <laughs> oh, gosh. You probably watch MSNBC and read the New York Times and you're like, gosh. It's so sad and frustrating. <laughs> it's like, because this is really interesting and I, I'm just so cognizant of, and actually not just interesting, but refreshing and sort of draws me back to elements that I really like about Christianity and Jesus. Like yeah. you said, I like this idea of like the Jesus fan club, but so much of this is tarnished by the way we talk about these things. I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to be too broad out there in the world. That's so vague, but like, you know, we're all pretty, aware of how these things get talked about in the broader culture. Yeah. And it's so frustrating. Yeah. I, I don't know what I'm saying aside from like, I like what you're saying and I, and, and I want more conversations like this, which is obviously why we do no small thing. But. Yeah. I mean, we are doing identity politics in that mm-hmm. we're breaking ourselves mm-hmm. into groups. We're not recognizing our oneness. Cause again, that oneness 
enables and allows for and celebrates difference. It's not saying that we have to have the same ideas, but we create these divisions so that we don't have to engage mm-hmm. in different communities and different groups. So we feel safe and in control of our own little group. I know what, you know, um, MAGA people stand for. Oh, I know mm-hmm. what progressive people stand for. Oh, you know, like, and then they come and start talking about something. It's like, Oh, I know I'm not supposed to listen to this person cause they're this thing, mm-hmm. you know, or whatever. Um, and that just maintains the current status quo that mm-hmm. maintains the power and the way that things are. I want to be able to take Jesus at his words and explore the ways that that challenges me, mm-hmm. explore the ways that that makes me uncomfortable and to not give it a political label. Mm-hmm. And frankly, when people say, Oh, Jesus isn't political. Um, they're wrong. <laughs> uh, <yeah>. Like politics <laughs> is the way that we order and structure society. Mm-hmm. And so we can't have a conversation about anything that has to do with our engagement with society without understanding it to some degree from a political lens. Mm-hmm. Now that might be an anarchic lens that says it's not about the power up top, but the power down below. Um, and it might be, you know, in some kind of structure, whether the power be in the state or in the church or, you know, something like there's still elements of organization and that organization is all political, but we need to be flexible and humble and open to hearing other people's perspectives. That's what it is. And it's so hard to do that because that requires that we give up our power. Yeah. Well, and the psychological person in me is saying, well, a, a huge reason why we can't participate in the oneness and see other people's, you know, like ambiguous like views or their multiplicities is because we don't sit with that in ourselves, Uh, which I think is like a reminder to like lament. It's like also like, I think to recognize this oneness begins with the recognition of your own sense of like oneness and diversities and your own sense of like, I have competing views. I hold cognitive dissonance. I have, you know, different, I, I participate in this and I, my like fear of this other or my like jumping to these labels is also happening in my own self. Mm. It like begins Mm. with me. And so I think a lot of times like the work before I'm not like, I think you, it's kind of like you do these things simultaneously, but I think you can't forget that like, in order to be able to hold other people and not make them an other, I think we need to do that with ourselves. 100%. It like begins there. There's this exceptionalism that I have found that so many people do where even from a theoretically like uh, loving way where we say, oh, I know that other people are deserving of love or whatever, but not me. You know, there's a sense of making oneself the exception to the rule. And frankly, you can't see that in all other people if you think that you are not deserving of that because then you don't recognize the holistic interconnection of of humanity. If I'm not deserving of something, then at some point internally in my sense of humanity, I I think that you aren't as well or vice versa. Like this is the thing with power and oppression that it is actually the oppressor who is in most need of an eternal liberation by the structures of oppression, because they're the ones who believe in their psyche that someone is, that it is justifiable for that oppression to continue. Yeah. That, that someone is um, able to suffer and that I don't have to deal with that. 
Right. Well, I mean, there's so much dissociation yeah. that is happening and supported. Yeah. Like it's like the the structures of being an oppressor. There's so much support to allow for like splitting and dissociation to happen, and those are supported. So it would involve engaging with your own dissociations. Yeah. Which is why in a lot of ways, it's very easy to not associate ourselves with that oppression. Yeah. You know, the oppressor is so frequently, this is like our our modern state where we don't own our injustices. It's not even about like saying this is right versus wrong, but saying, Oh, that's a problem. I recognize that racism is is an issue, but I'm not racist. You know, we, we have the sense of, Oh, I have, you know, like the classic, like, Oh, I have black friends or whatever, you know, or like, Oh, I give to, some community or I, you know, whatever we come up with these ways to justify. And the reality is, and this is probably a little spicy for a lot of our listeners. Here we go. We like the spice. (laughs) This is, this is not everyone agrees with the same rhetoric, but if you are white, you are a racist, right? Yes. That's not too spicy. No. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Not spicy spicy for this house. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Cause you are benefiting from the systems of racism. Yeah. And so that, as a beneficiary of racism, that makes you a racist. Now you can be an anti-racist racist, but that doesn't like negate itself. It's like, oh, suddenly like I don't have to worry about how I exist and how my power benefits in this world. Frankly, if you own a house in the United States or in any um, Western country, you are in the top 1% of the world ac- economically. And so you need to reckon with that. Like, what does it mean to be the elite Mm-hmm. of whom this economic global system has been designed for. I don't need to, but other people definitely do. <laughs> That's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable yeah. to say I'm a classist elite. Gosh, yeah. but yeah. it's such a waste of time to deny it in conversation at the very least, yeah. but, but in every, in just life, but like for somebody to go, Oh, that, that was the racist thing you just said. Oh, you're a racist. It's like, no, I'm not like, it's a waste of time. Yeah. And we're just wasting everybody's time with this, now that we have to have a conversation about it or something like that. Yeah. But I, I think that's another great example. And I guess we really are just floating around free associating now, but uh, you know, I always say youth are prophets or youth have something to teach us. And this could, this could get a little bit, um, that philosophy could have problems sometimes. And I can see the problems in what I'm about to explain, but that was one of the things that I learned from our friends, Connie, Bernard and mm. Kai's. Yeah. Um, and it was in the youth group. So they were still students and you know, to a certain extent, I, I don't necessarily like the setup of this conversation because they're women explaining sexism to me. Mm. But um, the whole, we were doing the ism series in the youth group. Yeah. And uh, we talked about sexism. So now I'm in their small group and we're talking about it. And, and uh, I'm just talking about, oh yeah, this idea of like heavy quotes, reverse sexism or something like, oh yeah, no, I've experienced sexism. And Connie's like, no, 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 you, you can't experience sexism. And I was like, that was a brand new thought for me. I was like, yes, mm. I can. Um, and, uh, it took like Hannah and Connie about 30 minutes to explain to me how I can't experience sexism. I was just like blown away. I was like, what? But by the end I was like, I, I get it now. Yeah. And the, the phrase we came up with was, was stereotyping. Cause I was mm-hmm. like, I've been shoved in this sort of box of gender my whole life. And somebody gender says, oppression is Oh yeah, like you can't, yeah. Yeah. A good you label can't, for it. you can't express that way or you can't be gentle or you can't wear makeup or anything. And I was like, sexism. And they're like, no, no, not sexism. And I was like, okay, so yeah, so gender oppression gender might be better, but yeah. we, we came up with stereotyping. But uh, yeah, yeah, it was just like, um, I, lo- I love that. Like yeah. the, the people on the top can't experience, there is no reverse racism and there is no reverse sexism, you know? Yeah. Am we, I right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we recognize. Somebody affirm me. <laughs> <laughs> you are affirmed. <laughs> we recognize 
that there are ways that men are also negatively impacted by sexism. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, of course. You know, it's, it's incredibly rigid and and um, damaging. I like this gender oppression word. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And so we, I think many people now recognize that. It's becoming more a conversation now of recognizing how uh, racism also damages and harms white people. Yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, right. there is no, you know, we talk about white culture and there are some things that it's like, oh, white people generally do this, but the point of whiteness is to be a monolith that has a race culture. Yes. Dang. Like, you know, I don't identify typically as Swedish, even though that's my background, because white has been imposed on me. Like, people see me as white. They don't see me as Swedish. They don't look to see what is your culture and your background. Right. And in my family, we've had some Swedish practices, and so that has helped me have more of a sense of culture, but so many white people are completely stripped from a sense of culture. Mm-hmm. 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 I mean, even um, black people in this country who have been stripped of their African cultures, blackness has created its own culture as an act of resistance in this country from oppression. Ooh. Ooh. And there's a real rich culture there. And white, white people don't get, and I'm not trying to say like poor white people, uh, white people don't have a culture because they haven't had anything to shape it. It is intentionally empty. Yeah. And that is damaging. Yeah. There's less a sense of a whole person. Culture yeah, see, is beautiful. No, you're saying it. No, white people are really the ones to feel bad for. <laughs> That's what this whole thing is about. <laughs> the harder one, and this is where I want to push the conversation, the harder one is to see how class oppression and economic injustice is yeah. harming to rich people. Yeah. I think that's a lot harder for us to see. But I think if we exist, you know, with the amount of wealth that so many people in the United States do, it's important that we recognize from our own just generally self-centered perspectives to recognize this is actually harming me too. Mm-hmm. And this mm-hmm. can't exist. There have been some studies that have shown that the more economically um, disparate a society, the worse it is for everyone. Mm. There, there are some studies, I can't quote all the facts off the top of my head, but like there are some studies out there that already show that. But on a spiritual level, I think it's really mm-hmm. important yeah. that we reflect on this. Like how is this poisoning us? Mm-hmm. Not just a recognition of the suffering of others, but like, how is this something that I need to fight for, for my own liberation? Well, and yeah, I mean, it's back to the oneness of yeah. like, I think there is this like spiritual, mental, emotional toll yeah. of like knowing you're hoarding, <laughs> like yeah. knowing you're like, you've left your toe to be frostbitten, Ooh. you know, yeah. like yeah. you yeah. feel Dang. that pain. Yeah. Uh, in my binging yesterday, cause I literally, because I was feeling sick, just sat and watched TV all day yesterday. And I watched this documentary called The Booksellers, which was really interesting. And it's about the dying um, bookstores. Mm, like, you know, yeah. like privately owned bookstores are dying in, in America. And um, it's specifically focused on like the New York scene. And it was provocative because on the one hand, you're seeing these private booksellers and these private book collectors. And they've got these, you know, massive, probably $20 million apartments in downtown New York with these huge libraries and they're beautiful. And the, and this, they're just like, they've collected these books their whole lives. And I'm like, wow. I'm like, that is so cool, but it's provocative, right? Cause it's, it's, it is hoarding. And then there, uh, there was a scene too, where they were talking about how this, um, original Da Vinci book, uh, would, um, got sold years and years and years ago. Maybe in like the, I don't know exactly like the forties, for, for a price that they were sort of uh, disappointed in. Mm-hmm. It was like $5 million for this Da Vinci book, you know, and they're like, that that should go, the original copy of this Da Vinci book should go for more. And then it came back up um, 
probably in the early 2000s at Christie's. And there's this big story building up about this. And it's like the, the, one of the things that they're constantly showing in the booksellers documentary is the auction life, like mm. auctioning books and how there's a whole scene with that and a protocol. And it's very interesting. And so they're like building up to this thing about this Da Vinci thing being put back up for auction. And it's like there's a there's a back and forth between a man in the room and the quote unquote the phone. Yeah. So somebody's on the phone bidding and they don't know who it is. And it's like starting at five point five million dollars. And it's like dump, 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 and it's like going up to seventeen million dollars, eighteen million dollars. Okay, fine. the phone. Okay, man in the room. That that oh the phone. You know, it's like twenty million dollars of the phone. And eventually goes twenty eight million dollars sold. And they're like so far at this auction at Christie's, it's the highest anybody's paid for a book. Wow. And it was Bill Gates on the phone. And so it's just like this life, you know, to know what Bill Gates have. Yeah. That's a drop in the bucket. It's like, yeah. I want that Da Vinci book, $28 million. And it's just, I mean, that's on a scale that none of us can really comprehend. Yeah. And what is, what is, what does it mean to be Bill Gates or Jeff Bezos or any of these people? You know, it's like, I just have that money and I'm spending it on a book. Yeah. <laughs> we, the temptation, I'm going to push this a little forward. The temptation of people who exist comfortably is to look at the people who have more than them right. and say, Oh, they're the problem. I don't want to skip, skip <laughs> go Bill Gates, but it, I mean, we can maybe see that in all of us on the trivial things that we yeah. also spend yeah. money on, but um, yeah. that's just a very provocative moment. <laughs> yeah. I think even, and it gets more difficult in this part, but even people who are struggling economically can still be in a better economic place than other people, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so the conversation, the the mindset needs to be not about like, oh, I, at any point in my economic class status can suddenly be exempt from this conversation. Right. Yeah. We're all connected. And so leaning into what it looks like to say, well, here I am at my place. I am still a part of this body. I'm still participating in the separation of that connection. What does it look like for me to lean in? Yeah, that's good. I mean, it's like, how do we... How do we hold the thing of like being critical of billionaires while also not scapegoating billionaires? Yeah. Right. I think, I think you're right. There's like an app temptation to like not see our own participation in it. And I mean, it is true. I mean, it is like, yeah, that's a very serious issue that needs to be attended to is this is billionaires. But again, some bringing back to psychology, like there's always pointing to something inside of ourselves. Mm-hmm. Like things that agitate us in others is often something we haven't tended to in ourselves. Yeah. So it's like Bill Gates dropping all that money. Like it's yeah. Like provocative, like you're saying. And then it's like, what is the invitation mm-hmm. towards thinking of your own life? And I'm like sitting here and I'm like, when, when am I doing these kinds of things? And I think even though my, my money scale is very low compared to that, yeah. it's, I still, may do things like that, you know, and it's like in its own small way. And the money redistribution might be what we could describe as the fruit, but you don't, if you see a sick tree, you don't tape fruit on it. You're not like, oh, we need to just put some fruit on here and suddenly it's a healthy tree. You know, it's like, oh, from the outside, it looks healthy now. It's like, no, you need need to tend to that tree. (laughs) You need to make sure that the tree is healthy. And so it's not just about like, oh, um, I'm, you know, not participating in making any change. So I'm going to add these things to my list. Cause again, that's back to that charity mentality. Right. Of like what is the limit that I need to do before I can justify it and feel okay? It's an internal transformation of the spirit of the mind. And that will necessarily come out as actions later. Hmm. 
that if you care so much, like if you see someone who is um, experiencing homelessness and you recognize that is your sibling, if you recognize that is you, how could you possibly let them stay there? Mm. That's a difficult transformation. And again, there are so many people who are suffering and you and your individuality have so limited resources and time and ability to make a difference, but you can make a difference. That's, that's, I think one important thing to say, the whole starfish proverb. I don't know if anyone's familiar with that. It made a difference to that one. Yeah, exactly. You know, like if you're a little kid on the beach throwing in starfishes, like you won't be able to throw them all in, but like each one you throw in, like you benefited that one. Mm -hmm. And that's still important to recognize. Yeah. We won't be able to fully change the world, but in doing our part, we are changing the world. Mm. Yeah. And leaning into that. It's a constant journey. This is one thing that's important for me that we never say a limit of like, okay, I reached that point. I can feel comfortable now in the amount that I'm contributing. It's a leaning in into the uncomfortable to continually change and to become more and more and more transformed. Okay. Let's, let's think of a uh, transitioning to a winding down. I was down. thinking the same thing, <laughs> mind meld again. <laughs> winding, winding down, down wow. mode. And I, one thing I'd say to, to kick off the winding down mode <laughs> is this is why I would say youth is youth are prophets or that youth contain wisdom and you're not a quote unquote youth. Although, developmentally you're just rounding the corner of adolescence yeah. Frederick. but <laughs> <laughs> um uh, the, uh, one of the um professors that i've learned a lot from over the years was this guy named lee ross at stanford and he mm-hmm. died i think about a year or two ago but he talked a lot about this um uh, just anthropologically sociologically uh, I, I guess what i'm hearing in you is sort of this time capsule that we have on this podcast of uh what i'd call idealism yeah and to mm-hmm. a certain extent, mm-hmm. um, I had this friend who responded to me on Facebook the other day when I said, youth contain wisdom. And he said, he looked at his teenage son and said, you are the least wise you will ever be in your entire life right now. And I was like, that is so just obviously untrue in all ways. Like there is something about youthful idealism that gets softened or whittled down as you get older. And yeah. I'm, I'm certainly an example of that. And part of me likes this idea of like you getting and listening to this episode 15 years from now and either you being like, Oh, I did so much more than that Frederick (laughs) even expected. And I'm living on this commune or whatever it is you're going to be doing. And, and, and you've started a a bunch of them and, or you're going to be like, gosh, that Frederick really was onto something. You know, I'm, I've sort of given up. (laughs) I don't see you giving up. I don't see you giving up either, but like there, there's, I, I hear that myself. Like if I was, if my 25 year old self was on the podcast right now, I would have been more idealistic than I am now. And maybe I'm recovering some of that idealism Mm -hmm. at this stage in my life. Mm -hmm. But, um, I don't, I don't want to say idealistic in a condescending way. I'm saying it and I'm holding up idealism in a, in a high lofty way. And I'm like, I love your youthful idealism. And I think that's something we experience in our youth group. I want to be yeah. like, I don't want to be like, Oh, someday you'll learn that these things aren't possible. You need to grow up, but it's so nice that you can be so naive and yeah. idealistic and you know, um, which is such a stupid thing. Cause I'm like, okay, people, what is happening <laughs> currently is not working. Right. Yeah. So yeah. Like, why the, why is an idea of imagination and imagining something different? like perceived as being problematic when clearly the way things are is problematic. So sure, maybe my idealism isn't going to fix it, but like it's better than not doing anything. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I guess Mason and I are just taking up all their space now, but just to get, <laughs> just to go off a little bit on that, I think again, I have a lot of, a lot of my fuel for my stuff on here comes through Facebook these days. <laughs> 
And I, I know a lot of intelligent Christian professor type people that like teach economics. And if I ever hint, this is the only time they'll engage at even questioning capitalism. There's this mentality that's like, if it's not broke, don't fix it. Yeah. And, and it is broken. Obviously. I want to yell, <laughs> but, it's broken. But, but their mentality is like, this is the best system that humans have been able to conceive of right now. And whoa, you think you have something better? Let's see. You know, it's like, well, why aren't we allowed to think outside the box here? Um, anyways, we're, it's turning into a no small thing episode right now. We're just yeah. talking amongst ourselves. Well, it is. It is yeah. a no small thing yeah, episode. <laughs> I think about idealism as the force that transforms the world. You look at anyone who has made an impact on the world, and one thing about them is that they are an idealist. Yeah. You know? Now, that's both for the positive or the negative. You know, I look at some of the people who have caused the most harm in society, and they're pretty idealistic in some ways, too. Right. Well said. So it's not to say that all idealism is for the benefit of society, but that we cannot ignore the power of an idea. Hmm. We... The thing is, we are taught to exist. We are taught to sustain ourselves, that this is our journey. And so maybe it comes from a place of privilege of being able to take a step back and say, you know, I know that I'm existing and this is fine, but I also desire more and I have the mental space to think about that. Mm -hmm. But a lot of idealism also comes out of desperation. Mm -hmm. So I think it can be both and. But... We, we must never allow ourselves to dream so small that it can be accomplished in a lifetime. Mm. Ooh, nice. I'm quoting someone else, but I don't know okay. who it is, but I, you know, it's worth I mentioning. You should have taken credit episode. for that. No, 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 I can't do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so as, as in the spirit of winding down, Frederick, <laughs> I, I, um, what, what is something that you would want or hope a listener would take away from your reflections today? I want people who are listening to recognize that this life is meant for revolution. That we have the ability to make a difference and that we must lean into it because Mm. that is where life is. Mm. Jesus says, I came to give you life and life abundant. And I don't think that's just in perpetuating the society, the status quo, making sure that our ends meet day to day. Now, we need to think about those things too. Like obviously that takes a place in our mind, but we need to leave space for that curiosity, leave space for that passion and celebrate that as being the force of life. Mm. Woo, dang. We should start a youth group called Rebel. <laughs> revolt <laughs> revolt <laughs> yeah evolution now your ideas have the power to change mm. the world mm. i think of this key and peels kid it's like you can fly <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. no you can actually fly <laughs> get on your roof and That's jump <laughs> but it is true that yeah. not that you can fly don't jump don't jump off your roof but you are more powerful than what society wants you to yes, recognize because it is intended to perpetuate itself. Like that is its point. And so it is meant to tell you that you are just a cog in the system, but you are a star, Mm. you know, and you burn bright and that is worth celebrating. That is something that can transform the entire body. So find like-minded people who can empower you and don't let your dreams die. This is good. I, is. I, I would just say for Frederick, well, first of all, weather report. It's now sunny. I know it's now really sunny. <laughs> it was pouring rain and windy a second ago. Now it's perfectly sunny. Um, 
uh, one of the things I admire so much about you, it's, I don't, I, I know you don't like love compliments or that's not what you're here to get, but like, uh, you know, you embody a lot of what you talk about. Like you're mm-hmm. one of the least mm-hmm. hypocritical people I know, which is really that's compelling. That's true. Um, and, and I, I probably would say about myself sometimes that I don't talk a lot about these things because it would be hypocritical, <laughs> you know? So, uh, yeah, I mean, I really appreciate you and what you're doing and the direction you're heading and what you're bringing into the world. Yeah. It's a journey, but that integrity for me is about the continual transformation. Mm-hmm. You know, there is a spirit body split if I allow myself to be hypocritical. Yeah. Yeah. And there is a spirit body numbing if I allow myself to not engage in those truths because I'm worried about the hypocrisy. <laughs> Some Oof. gems tonight. Oof. Do you have any closing thoughts, Mace? No, I'm just appreciative. And I feel How like- about you, B? All things are I don't know. I feel like I am always inspired by you. And I think that this is like a continued invitation. Like I feel like a lot of the themes you brought have been things that I've been- mulling over a lot in the past few months and like I think as Scott was saying like the embodiedness in your spirit is one that I'm like drawn towards um and it's also I mean as we're seeking of oneness like there's a part of me that's like Frederick is being transformed I'm also being transformed yeah like I'm thinking about that right now of like yeah. what that means that you're part of me and that this is a part of who I am is being like this epic amazing person who like <laughs> has this ideal and is living it like that's like I'm sitting with that fact right now which is really interesting well and don't forget Dr. Jung yeah don't forget Dr. Jung he's still sleeping it's my <laughs> snail <laughs> and he's a professor he's not a doctor oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well this has been a great conversation yeah a true I, no small thing so conversation I, I think there is kindred <gasps> spirits what oh no Scott what what are we looking at Oh, well, it's been recording this whole time. It's still recording. I'm so sorry. I just freaked out. No, that's good. But we can end it. Yeah, yeah. No. This is the sign. (laughs) Seriously. Thank you so much, Frederick. We love you. That was a big gasp. We just got a warning that our SD card is running out, which I guess is a great way to say this is... This is ending. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you to Frederick. We'll have you on again someday, maybe to talk about scarcity and abundance, because mm. I feel like that's been hovering over this conversation. Yeah. But Interesting. Yeah. Big fans. Uh, do you want to say anything? Well, I was just going to say, you can hear more exciting conversations oh, yes. on spirituality and theology at Barefoot Timaeus Podcast, and also pretty soon, Scott and Mace are going to be on that podcast Woo-hoo. as well. So come check that out. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next week. Bye.